Swung on the high this fly. This is tagged by Hammered it again. At the track. High and deep to the right. That ball just got out of here. This is going to go to the rock This ball's getting small. This is charged. Right back at the track. Seems like the ball's had a lot of life the last couple of nights. Finger go back to back. Here's Adam Engel. Swinging a long one to left. We're going to have a tie ball game. He did go back to back. High and deep. This is crushed the left center field. This is going to go for a home run. Way out of here. This is is White Sox Weekly. Strike after strike. He is on a roll. Seven straight strikeouts. The wind and the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss and a fastball away. Make it eight in a row for Giolito. Coming off of my year in 18, had a lot of adjustments to be made. I had to fix some mechanical things. I had to fix some mental stuff. And then I was able to have a pretty good body of work. For me, it just makes me hungrier for more. Anderson hits one in the air. Deep into left field. Gordon turns and watches, and this one is gone. Way up into the bleachers. He turned on it, burned on it, flipped the bat, and started running. You know, we broke down my swing, and uh, we made some changes, and uh, it, it seemed to work for me. The Chicago Baseball Conversation. Deep into right field. On the flagship home of the Sox. It is gone! 720 WGN. Welcome in. This is White Sox Weekly. Happy Saturday afternoon to you and happy holiday weekend. I'm Kevin Powell alongside Jordan Burnfield for the next hour. We'll do a little baseball chatter here and uh, have some fun. James Feagan from The Athletics is going to join us uh, just after 4.30. We're also going to revisit. I'm excited to do this. We were talking um, uh, earlier today kind of about uh, it's the decades coming to a close. Yeah. So kind of looking back on uh, some Chicago sports moments and stuff. But we're actually just going to look back on the 2019 Sox season and uh, revisit some of the memorable moments. And I've I've continued to stress that it's telling, and it, sh- it it shows you that there was progress made when there was really a lot of cool moments that showed you that this team, this thing is moving in the right direction. The win, the win totals were up, not where obviously they want it to be. But, man, you think about the Eloy homer at Wrigley. You think about the season Moncada had, Giolito uh, turning the corner. So, um We've got a list of five, and to be honest, uh, we're piggybacking off Scott Merkin, who put this at uh, MLB.com. He covers the White Sox, of course. He put this list together. So we saw that. I go, this is great. Let's just run this down uh, through White Sox Weekly. We'll pull the highlights. We're the flagship station. So we're going to have some fun with that as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, this this past season was not about the team's record. Right. You You want to think that it is every year going in, but I think that the White Sox have been very transparent in the fact that they've been building for potential winning seasons in 2020, 2021, and beyond. So, you know, I don't look at the White Sox successes through their win-loss record in 2019, just as I'm sure that the organization doesn't. And like you said, there were a lot of good moments this year. I mean, Tim Anderson, incredible season. Batting champ. Yes, Yohan Mankata, fantastic season. You know, we were waiting to see the number one prospect in baseball from a few years ago start to look like it, right? And when you're a young player, especially in a big market, when you don't immediately perform to that level, people start to question whether you're any good. A couple of years ago, you know, he strikes out 200-plus times, and everyone's worried, is Yohan Moncada not going to develop exactly the way that White Sox fans are hoping for? He had a fantastic season. And so mm-hmm. when you look at those two at the top, and then you think about, not just Jimenez, but to me, the rise of Lucas Giolito. All this has been about is what pieces do I have, if I'm the White Sox, moving towards those potential winning seasons? And if they can replicate the kind of years that they got from Anderson, from Moncada, from Giolito, from Jimenez, if they can replicate those or do something close to that for the next few years, 
now you're building that core that you can win with in the future. So I think there was a lot of things to like for the White Sox this past year. Yeah, and you mentioned Moncada. For me, like that that was the guy that you brought in that started this whole thing. I mean, you trade Chris Sale to Boston. He was the centerpiece of that trade, a very important piece of that trade that you needed to see progress. Because if you trade away Chris Sale and get no value for it, you've missed. It's really looking like Yohan Moncada has legitimate um, – a legitimate skill set to keep himself in an MVP conversation down the road. I mean, the, uh, yeah, where the White Sox were, Kevin, I think they, the whole thing was predicated upon them hitting on the trades they made, not just the draft picks, right. because the White Sox weren't terrible when they decided to rebuild, right? A lot of times, teams are really, really bad on the major league level, so they stink by design to accumulate top draft picks, and then hope that you hit on those draft picks for the future. The White Sox were in a position where they were sort of an average team that couldn't quite get over the hump, so they traded away premium major league assets like Sale, like Quintana, like uh, you know Adam Eaton at the time, all right. these different players that I think was sort of unique in a rebuilding effort, right? You don't usually have those kind of assets to trade. As it's turning out, the guys that they're getting back in these deals – Obviously, not all of them are going to hit, but some of them are really making a big difference for you. And I mean, from all three of those trades, the the, the sale trade, you got Moncada. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Quintana trade, you got Eloy. Those are two wins right there. And you got Dylan Cease. Not to mention the Adam Eaton trade. And not to, and as I was going to get to the Adam Eaton trade brings in Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez, who showed flashes last year of how good he can be. Certainly not consistent enough. I believe he led the majors in earn runs allowed. So, but there were some moments, and we're going to revisit the top five moments from the twenty, or just top five of the some of the more memorable moments. And Lopez does make an appearance in that. So uh, we'll get to that coming up, and then James Fegan will join us just after four thirty. You are listening to White Sox Weekly, and let me tell you. Give the gift of White Sox baseball this season with a holiday pack starting at just $45. Each pack includes four ticket vouchers for the 2020 season, along with an exclusive White Sox holiday blanket. Get yours today at WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs. Okay, this is White Sox Weekly. I'm Kevin Powell alongside Jordan Burnfield, who's looking spiffy. He's getting ready to head to Mark Carmen's wedding. Carm's normally here on White Sox Weekly, dreams. but uh, dreams for Carm as he gets set uh, for a big old uh, celebration tonight. Congratulations to Carm. He's actually living dreams tonight. He's living dreams. It happened. It's not just his sarcastic phrase. It is actually true this time. I saw him walking through the newsroom on uh, Wednesday. He did seem a pinch nervous, I will say that. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll give you the full rundown later. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, White Sox Weekly, what we're doing here is Scott Merkin. Sorry, Merk, about your Michigan Wolverines today. That was a shellacking by the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes. Merck's the big-time Michigan man. So, he is. Uh, he put together a list of five of uh, some of the more memorable moments from the 2019 White Sox season. We said, well, perfect. Let's just run through this. And as we kind of I mean, we've got one month left in the decade here. Uh, uh, Jordan one left in the in the uh, in 2019. So we figure we kind of look back here. This is the time of year where you reflect on the what the what the year was. So uh, coming in at number five, you get to roll the cut, Curtis. One ball, two strikes with one out. The one two struck him out. That's three strikeouts in a row, dating back to the sixth. And he has nine. Does Lopez, and now he deals with Bowers, the left fielder. Farmio on WGN. Lopez went on to fan 11 Indian batters. That was a red-hot Cleveland team when they met. Um, 
struck out 11, a complete game, one hitter. And we were just talking about Renato Lopez where, yeah, not consistent enough last year, but there were certain moments. There was another one where I think he had 13 strikeouts. That one was on the south side. Um, that showed flashes of, okay, they might have something serious, a, a, a talented pitcher here. Yeah, I mean that that game September fifth when he threw a complete game, one run, one hit, eleven Ks, and three walks. When I watch Reynaldo Lopez and his ball is moving and he is throwing balls in the strike zone and getting ahead of hitters, you can see the talent there, and you can see why the White Sox want to believe that he's going to be able to put this together. The question, of course, for Ronaldo, and I think he'd probably be the first to tell you this, is, is there a consistency there? Because it's clear that he has talent. It is clear that if that can be harnessed on a consistent level, he could be awesome. But the problem is, you had stretches like after that nine-inning, one-run, one-hit performance, when he gives up six runs, and then five runs, and then five runs, yeah. and the three starts afterwards. So how do they find that from him? What does Don Cooper do in his in his infinite wisdom to try to mold this guy into something? Because as we've seen him play, it seems like you factor him in further and further down in the rotation mm-hmm. unless you can find a way to extract that consistency from him. Yeah, and he talked about it all last year where he even admitted it's it's more the mental component of it, the, the mental breakdown of it. We, we see the talent. We see what he, he can do when you said he attacks the strike zone and puts it all together. So we'll see what uh, is in store for 2020 for Ronaldo Lopez, but he certainly factors into the equation for the White Sox so that, uh, in the immediate future for sure. Okay, this one I'm excited about. Tim Anderson, the batting champion, becoming a full-fledged star in Major League uh, baseball, consistently seeing him on national baseball talk shows. If you put on MLB Network, Tim Anderson is constantly on it because he's a fun baseball player. He is. You know, he just is a fun player. He, he bees himself. He is himself. And uh, this this one coming on April 26th against the Tigers, a 12-11 victory supplied by a Tim Anderson homer. This is not the time for the White Sox offense to get pooped out. Nope. But Stump got the first two in the eighth and then the strikeouts, and he's got three of those. Jimenez does, and he deals with Tim Anderson. And the pitch swung on high, deep to left. Got a chance. Cut the track. It's gone. Game-winning home run. Light it up. Sox win 12-11. That is about as hyped as you were going to hear Ed Farmer. That was awesome. When you get a light it up, that's when you're getting the goods from Farmio right there. And that was that was an iconic moment that I think... If you're asking me, I know that was four on Merck's list, and I'm not saying that the other moments that we will get to in a moment aren't great moments. For me, that was like the coming out party for the young White Sox. That like that moment when Anderson homers and flicks the bat in the air, I, that is like the image of the 2019 White Sox season, is yeah, it not? Yeah, totally. And when it, where it came in the season, like three, three weeks into the season, yeah. where... Like it felt like it needed a jolt because they had, they weren't winning a ton of games. It had already been a few years of a rough go of it. They needed something. It felt like they hadn't had a big moment like this from one of their one of their leaders, one of their stars. And for him to do that in late April, uh, with with the uh, it was like kind of a javelin. He like chucked it at the Sox dugout and kind of turned around. <laughs> yes, it was super cool. And to hear, look, I forgot how fired up Farmio was in that one. But uh, Tim Anderson becoming a star in Major League Baseball, another star. And one of my favorite players that we get to talk to on a consistent basis, always gracious with his time, always thoughtful answers, one of the more well-thought-out baseball players I've covered over the past few years is Lucas Giolito, where he looked like a full-blown ace and is an all-star. Um, this one coming on May 23rd at the Astros. Um, 
We got we got two clips here, Curtis, tied together. This is just some highlights of Giolito. Make us the people strike out. He was uh, May 23rd at the Astros, August 21st at the Twins. Both victories for the White Sox. Three balls and two strikes. Cruz ready to go. Do battle with Giolito. He's got one strike to work with. And another 3-2 pitch to Nelly Cruz. Here it is. Struck him out swinging. He got him on a breaking pitch that was up. 12 strikeouts for Giolito. Masterful performance. Second shutout of the season. Third complete game. He's done it all for the Sox today. In his way right now is Goriel, the third baseman. And he may swing at the first pitch. And Lucas with the delivery. High pop-up. This will do it. Moncada backpedaling to the outfield. Sox win! Sox win. Giolito, his second complete game in a row. And he shuts him out. 4 nothing. White Sox. Oh, brother. Oh, brother is right, Farmio. <laughs> Giolito held the Astros and that potent lineup to just four hits. He had nine strikeouts and one walk in the uh, that game against the Twins. Just three hits allowed while he struck out 12 and no walks. Just an impressive season all around from Lucas Giolito. It was an enormous development for the White Sox in the context of this rebuilding effort to get the kind of effort that they got from Lucas Giolito in 2019. Going into this past season, there was a lot of question about Lucas Giolito. He was one of the featured players in that Eaton trade, as we mentioned, but we had not yet seen that talent realized. He completely flipped the script this year, and I think for him, that fastball and the changeup, the way that he's been able to locate both for strikes and also tunnel those pitches where batters just don't know what's coming, I mean, that's elite stuff. And if he can continue to do that and mixing in the breaking balls around it, that is the kind of pitcher, the way that he approaches things, that can play for a long time. When you're good at changing speeds and it's not as much about throwing 98 miles an hour, it's more about deception, but the fact that he does throw 95 does help. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, if he can stay healthy, can be really good for a long time. I really hope that next year that Giolito can keep this up because, you know, as you start to shape a team that might contend for the playoffs, you need certain guys to be locked in. Like You have to know that you're going to get big performance from Giolito, and if he can keep doing this in the years to come, that is a huge development for the White Sox. Number two on this list would be my number one. Again, nothing against Merck here. Love this list. But uh, (laughs) um, I was was covering this game. It was a perfect, beautiful summer night at Wrigley Field. So many storylines. Eloy Jimenez returns to Wrigley Field to face his former team. And a high fly ball into deep left field. Schwarber turns and looks, and it's gone. Eloy Jimenez has just hit a two-run bomb. And it's 3-1 to one White Sox. Jimenez floats around the bases here at Wrigley Field in his first ever game against his former team. I don't think his feet have touched the ground yet. There will not be a better feeling for him. He will remember that home run. It's just one you just want to remind your former mates, look what I can do. Just a chill-inducing moment. That's Andy Mazur and Darren Jackson on the call. Uh, the White Sox going on to win that game 3-1. to one. I remember being in the press box and... I was going to start making my way down. A lot of the reporters at Wrigley go down before the game's over and finish it because it turns into a madhouse and you just want to beat the crowd and everything. So I'm starting to walk down, but I see Eloy coming up, 
Adam Hogue was actually in the the away booth getting ready to do the post-game show. I took two steps down, walked right behind Adam, and the second I walked down, Eloy connected. And from that clip, what we just listened to, the sound of Wrigley Field. Because it, it, if you looked around Wrigley that night, it looked like, I mean, it didn't, it didn't look like there was a ton of White Sox fans. And the sound was obviously that excitement from White Sox fans. I think there was a little bit of cringing from Cub fans. Like, that's, <laughs> that's worst-case scenario. Eloy, the guy who was supposed to be a stud for us, just cranked a two-run homer at Wrigley in one of the more memorable crosstown games of my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was an iconic home run for the 2019 season. The interesting thing is, like, I understand the whole side for Eloy. I, I think that... You know, I don't think that the Cubs ever question whether this guy could be a star. I think that they just wanted Jose Quintana at the time, and the two teams made a trade. But this is why I think often when the two teams in town make a trade, why there is so much that comes with it, because it's always like which side are the scales tipping, right? No matter which player does well, whenever Quintana pitches, it's well is he going to live up to his side of the deal because we traded Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease to get this guy? He better be that guy. And then conversely, when Eloy comes to Wrigley and does that, I mean, that was it was an awesome moment. It was, it was a great, great moment for the White Sox. And I think it was also another one of these breakthrough moments. You know, when Another one of those moments that says, yeah. hey, wake up, rest of baseball, we're here. We're, we're going we're, we're to be here. Yeah, I mean, listen, when, you, when you're not winning from a wins and loss standpoint – the turning points in a rebuilding effort are moments where players start to believe that they can be winners on the major league level. I think this was one of those moments. This was another incredible moment because you had the veteran, you had the young up-and-comer, could be per- perennial all-star type player, both delivering massive home runs in a victory over the Tigers to sweep a doubleheader July 3rd. It was a beautiful night on the south side. Green from the set, 2-1 and one the count on Yon Moncada and the 2-1. Swinging a long one, right center. This is way back. Turn on the fireworks. Mankata's tied the game here with the tenth at six. And the three-two. Swinging a line drive to left, down the line to the corner. This ball's gone. Three-run homer. Turn the fireworks on. Abreu goes deep. The Sox win in the bottom of the twelfth on a three-run homer, and they win nine to six. That was a fun night at the ballpark. Yo Moncada homered in the bottom of the 10th with one out to tie the game that Jose Abreu delivering the walk-off. Three-run homer in the 12th inning. Jordan, just a uh, a fun uh, f- just fun to go back and look at all those moments and remind White Sox fans that uh, special things are are coming. The, the, bright, the bright moments of this season hopefully will carry forward. That's what you hope for. I do believe good days are ahead for the Sox. Rebuilding is never easy, but you can see the pieces are starting to form. General manager meetings just a little over a week away. We'll talk with the Athletics' James Fegan next here on White Sox Weekly. We'll uh, preview what the rest of the offseason will look like for the White Sox. And pick 10 plans are on sale now. Get ready for the 2020 season with this flexible and affordable ticket plan. Pick your games, your opponents, your schedule with lower-level plans starting at $205. Visit WhiteSox.com to pick your plan today. WGN, the team's flagship radio station. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the home of the Sox, 720 WGN. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly this Saturday afternoon. Hope you're enjoying your holiday weekend. 
join some leftovers. I'm Kevin Powell alongside Jordan Burnfield, and joining us now is one of my favorite White Sox beat reporters in the segment sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. James, uh, I hope you, uh, James, of course, covers the White Sox for The Athletic. That's a great holiday gift idea right there, James, a subscription to The Athletic. Yeah, we are bound to have some sort of discount code going at, at any given time, so <laughs> there, why not? Some of the some of the best sports content lives on that website, uh, all, all sports, really, and um, whoever you may be cheering for. It's uh, worth a subscription. James, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. It was Philly. <laughs> so I was talking, or we were talking off the air a little bit, about how the day after Thanksgiving I have a go-to sandwich that I make. And it's it's turkey on white bread with a lot of mayo, and I like cranberry sauce, but the cranberry sauce out of the can. I like the consistency. I think it works with the rich and heavy turkey sandwich. Do you have a go-to leftover meal or anything you look forward to most of the day after Thanksgiving? Well, Thanksgiving was at my mother's, so I only got what was given to me as far as leftovers, which happened to be a bread bowl full of spinach dip. Which is not really a meal unless you eat like you know the whole thing. So uh, that that wound up being my you know, my leftover go to. Not the worst leftover. I love a good spinach dip out of a bread bowl. Very solid. I feel like though the bread bowl, James, and it's good to talk to you is like is a leftover that could get soggy. I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little you bit skeptical. Got the short about the stick, that was my rationale in polishing it off immediately. Like you don't want that to linger days <laughs> yes. on end. That's a get home yeah. situation and eat it that night of Thanksgiving. So, um, all right, James, appreciate you jumping on. We were just playing back. Merck put together at uh, MLB.com, WhiteSox.com. Um, some of the top five most memorable moments from the 2019 White Sox season. And since the year is coming to a close, we figure, well, why don't we go revisit all of those? Do you have a moment that's, that's stick? I can give you the, his rundown, but do you have a, a couple moments that stick out to you from the 2019 season? Uh, sure. I mean, the, like Lucas Giolito, uh, in Minnesota. So what I was actually on hand for that was kind of, that stood out just the guy being in the groove as much as possible. Um, the kind of crazy, I think they were down like 9-1 to Detroit that ended in a Tim Anderson walk-off, and that was kind of like the tail end of his April where he probably OPS something like 1,400 or, or, or something like that. Um, there was the July 3rd game that had an Abreu walk-off, but I believe it, it contained two Yohan Mankata home runs. The second one that was like a game-time one off of Shane Green, and it was probably like the most like absolute perfect encapsulation of Moncada's left-handed uppercut swing when he's he's really rolling right. Uh, you know stuff like the the big comeback in Boston that was capped off by uh, Abreu hitting one over the Green Monster when you know half the team was sick and hacking up a lung and it seemed like they're about to like fall apart, but he kind of salvaged that road trip. So yeah, there's, there's some things that come to mind. Well, you just about hit all of them on Merck's list. He did throw a Ronaldo Lopez uh, 11 strikeout complete game one hitter against the Indians, and then of course the Eloy Homer against the Cubs at Wrigley. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably a big one to miss. <laughs> the, the Eloy home run. That's probably the the big uh, thumb in the eye of the Cubs that they got all season for that trade. Yeah. That was an iconic moment of the season, uh, James. I want to ask you about. After seeing what you saw in 2019 in terms of the players that emerged as potential pieces in this rebuild, like Anderson, like Moncada, and Giolito, which of those three do you feel most confident can replicate something close to what they did in 2019 and 2020? Mm, I, I'm tempted to say Moncada. That's the guy we always thought had you know absolutely elite uh, bat speed and uh plus power and kind of ability to 
to affect the game in so many ways. You know, both him and Tim Anderson had around 400 uh, batting average on balls in play, so you expect them to slip a little bit back. But I really think Moncada is really only still kind of tapping into what he can do at the plate. I mean, his numbers in aggregate, his batting average might slide a little bit next year while he still gets fundamentally better and better at covering the plate and still sliding that strikeout percentage down a bit and, and tapping into that power from the, the right side as well as often as he's able to do it left-handed. Um, that's not to say I'm bearish on Giolito by any means. I think he really figured out a very consistent motion. I think after last year when he came in spring training, he was throwing entirely different than he had before. I think he'll probably look like the exact same guy because he's, he's found somebody that, something that works for him. And I still think Tim is going to be a good above-average hitting uh, shortstop next year. I just don't think batting title every season is a reasonable expectation from him. Renato Lopez was basically a head-scratching 2019 campaign where, you know, as I mentioned, he had the, the 11 strikeout game. I believe there's a 13 strikeout game on the south side. He, so, he showed some flashes of how dominant he can be. How does he get to be more consistent in 2020 and some, somebody they can rely on? You know, I'd really like to see how he looks in spring training because definitely we saw the, the stuff and the, the form that carves out what the White Sox think of him that kind of shows us what why they have him in such a high regard despite the results not being there. The the, the kind of word from him is just talking about kind of how he got a little bit better in the second half and, and what he would uh, he'd work on in the offseason is that there should be some sort of mechanical adjustment to kind of go with all the stuff about mindset and focus that seem to constantly be uh, harping on with him. You know, I don't know if that ever – maybe he's always a guy who maybe floats a little in and out as far as being locked in, and that's something he maybe just manages a little bit better gradually as he matures, but – I'm, I'm hoping to see something not like Gilito because that guy just overhauled his delivery entirely. But I'm hoping to look in spring training and see something a bit more about getting his uh, front side going because it seemed like when he got his uh, his glove hand up uh, early in his delivery and kind of set his momentum to driving forward, that was when his command was best. So if he had some mechanism that he puts in that do that more consistently next spring, that would be the thing that starts giving me optimism. Like, okay, this can shake out. But really what I like is that the, the White Sox are approaching this offseason that Rick Hahn is saying that they need basically to add two starters, which would give them six uh, if you're concluding Michael Kopech. Obviously, Kopech and Cease will have innings limits a little bit, so you kind of need that extra depth. But what it says to me is that if you're a start in the White Sox rotation next season and you're not performing, maybe at the level Ronaldo was for the first half uh, next year, you don't have a spot guaranteed to you anymore. And I think it's important for them to move to that phase where you know there really has to be results, not just hints of promise. We're talking to James Fegan from The Athletic, covers the White Sox here on White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. And I, I want to piggyback off of what you just talked about there, James, because I was going to ask you about Michael Kopech and what your expectations are for him for next year, what's realistic, which I do want to ask you, but also in the context of the fact that there could be a couple of starters that they bring in from the outside. So if you had to handicap it right now, uh, how many new starters do you think will be on this White Sox team next year in terms of players from outside of the organization? And what do you think they can get from Kopech next year? I mean, Han has said uh, outright that they're looking to add two. And, and until, uh, you know, it's February and they fell short or nothing uh, kind of worked together, I think that's the standard we and the expectation we should set for them. I don't know if it's going to – I would expect one guy who's more mid-rotation and one guy who's more back of the rotation, but – I, it, it didn't seem like they were patching together, you know, AAA depth or Manny Benuelo swingman type of guys. It seemed like they wanted to add two guys who were somewhat proven. And I think that's prudent, uh, not just from a, you know, 
uh, Ronaldo didn't have the best year standpoint, but um, they, they've been kind of progressively building up their young guys of going, you know, 20, 30 innings ever before than they've gone in their career and not, you know, a bigger jump than that. Because he tweaked his hamstring at the end of last season, Dylan Cease only got 140 innings in last year. So I wouldn't expect the White Sox to really push him beyond 160, 170. Kopech, his max is also around 140. So he's another guy that probably is not going to go, you know, 32 starts and 200 innings. And, you know, especially if you're talking playoffs with the team, that's another thing to manage. What they did with Cease last year is they kind of started him really slow in spring training. I think you probably saw like one or two Cactus League starts from Cease entirely. And if you were watching him in AAA that first month, he was getting pulled at five innings and 80 pitches all the time. They really kind of managed his workload at the beginning of the year, so they didn't have to do that kind of shutdown based on his innings at the end of the season. So that would be kind of the expectation. I think people have been set a little bit off by Han not really penciling Kopech in as a member of the starting rotation. I feel it's more about caution of his workload rather than trying to say, oh, he's not ready or we're not confident he's still a starter or anything like that. I still have all the high expectations of Michael Kopech I would have had two years ago. I, I, if two years ago, I would have told you I thought he was the t- most talented arm uh, in the organization. Even with Giolito breaking out, I still kind of hold to that. And, you know, the stuff that Kopech showed, I really think he can still be the, you know, the best starter on the, in this organization. Obviously, there's a lot to go to do that, and he needs to actually pitch in games. But I think you can still set your expectations pretty high for him. James, as a well-known White Sox reporter and expert, I'm sure you're getting asked every single day, who else will the White Sox sign? So I guess I'll just join the party. Who else will the White Sox sign this offseason? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely have talked myself into the idea that given the fact that you're not just competing for 2020 and you're trying to look for someone who's going to project well to a two-, three-, four-year win- window, I think the idea of Zach Wheeler and how strong his stuff is right now and they Maybe the, the argument that he has less mileage or less postseasons that he pitched through than other guys, that he's really somebody you, you could be confident being having the kind of top-end stuff, you know, two, three years, four years down the road. But it seems like every other team in the league has also made that assessment as well. So kind of saying that he's their guy, he's, they're going to get, when even other good teams in the division like the Twins are targeting him, it's hard to say. But I, I definitely think that they can probably – shot more on the mid-tier as far as, uh, you know, cornerbacks or, or right field, given the fact that they got Yasmani Grandal, who's a kind of proven middle-of-the-order guy. I probably wouldn't think about them with Anthony Rendon or, or shopping for, like, absolute top-end bat because they kind of already got one. Um, but it, it's, it's really hard to say. Other than kind of the excitement about Wheeler, it seems like things have quieted down the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, uh, James, one thing that I think has been true the last couple of off-seasons is that because the White Sox are a team with a lot of flexibility, let's just say, with their potential payroll and the fact that they are in need of several things, you know, they've been linked to all these players at the top of the free agent, um, you know, frenzy last year with Machado, and obviously, you know, there was discussions with Harper and all that stuff, and I know some people want to you know, think that maybe that Garrett Cole is a possibility for the White Sox. Um, you know, if if Rendon is not in the cards, what do you think is the biggest uh, thing that they're looking for from an offensive standpoint? Because it feels to me, and certainly if Kopech comes back and is, is healthy and good and Giolito can replicate some form of what he did last year and they add a couple of starters, they might be okay from a rotation standpoint. What is the thing that they're looking for most offensively to pick up? I think, I mean, just in general, you want the ability to hit right-handed pitching. They were a team that was decidedly above average against lefties uh, 
and a below average against righties last season. So a lot of that is, you know, being typified as they need a left-handed bat, but it's not specifically that. They could get just a righty who's a lead against right-handed pitching, uh, you know, same-sided pitching the way that kind of Tim Anderson was this year, but maybe Jose Bray wasn't. So because of that, I kind of lean away from Castellanos. I wouldn't rule it out because he's really a guy who kind of damages other uh, opposite-handed pitching a little bit. But, you know, someone like Yasiel Puig has always hit right-handers traditionally well. So just someone who kind of fits the profile of their area of need because that seems to be what the Grandal signing was all about of addressing so many kind of shortcomings so somebody who has more of that contact ability who can who can uh, get on base at a reasonable rate and can hit right-handers is basically addressing all their shortcomings from last year so that's the kind of profile i look at he's james fagan he covers the white Sox and he does it well for the athletic the athletic.com is where you can read his stuff and get a subscription it's a great holiday gift idea it's uh, definitely worth it james appreciate you jumping on is greenberg sending you to uh san diego for the gm meetings isn't her the winter means yeah winter i'm means. actually i'm headed to arizona tomorrow and then i'm gonna drive over there there you go well, i'm very jealous of you. <laughs> enjoy the sunshine james we'll be uh, looking forward to your coverage uh, on the athletic.com so appreciate you joining white Sox weekly thanks man thanks james thanks for having me all right he is james fegan he is a must read if you are a south side fan uh he's jordan burnfield i'm kevin powell more to come on white Sox weekly but before we break the white Sox pop-up shop is back at the orland square mall this offseason visit the white Sox store at orland square mall now through january 15th conveniently located across from the apple store fans can shop stadium exclusives and special promotions throughout the holidays for more information follow at white Sox store on instagram it's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox. 720 WGN. This is White Sox Weekly on this Saturday evening. Hope you're having a great weekend, a great holiday weekend. Maybe snacking on some leftover turkey, some stuffing. Jordan and I have had some serious... He's Jordan Burnfield. I'm Kevin Powell. This is White Sox Weekly. We're taking it up to 5 o'clock, and then we'll stick around for another couple hours before uh, Blackhawks hockey. A lot of uh, food conversation between Jordan and I on and off the air this afternoon. Um, I think for a lot of White Sox fans, Jordan, it was... uh, even I think you could even classify it as a sense of relief by Rick Hahn and the front office being very aggressive right out of the gate, getting Yasmani Grandal, who some were skeptical that they could land a free agent like Grandal, and then they yeah. locked up Jose Abreu. I think that was a relief, and it generated a lot more buzz around the White Sox. It did, and I, I think that they deserve a lot of credit for both of those moves. I really like the Grandal signing. I think it makes a lot of sense for them in a lot of ways. I mean, certainly McCann was a great story for the White Sox last year, but I just don't know. I think it's hard to know what what he's going to be in the future because he just sort of came out of nowhere mm-hmm. and had an all-star season, but whether or not that could be replicated. And a slow ending. I mean, right. much of that, he had to carry a huge load. But yeah, right. I, Look, and you're never going to have too much talent. Like, but when they when they made that signing, there were actually some people coming like, "Well, why did they make that deal? They couldn't go elsewhere." Like, no, that was one of the best offensive targets that you yes. could land, and they got him, and they did it right away. Versatile catcher, guy that can really hit, good leader. I think that that makes a lot of sense. But I think though, what it also does, and I'm sure Rick Hahn would be the first to say this, is it sets high expectations now for the rest of the off season. It's one thing to land a couple of guys early. I mean, I, you knew that Jose Abreu was going to be back. He loves being a White Sox player. I think that was uh, you know, clearly going to occur. Yeah. In terms of Grandal, it's a great way to start 
the free agency because, frankly, until the White Sox did that, there was nothing happening in baseball. But it also means now that White Sox fans, understandably, are going to be pretty hungry to see other moves get made. Right. Now, you know, that's why I was with James, I was asking about who realistically is someone else they can sign. As I look at some of the free agents that are out there, I don't know what it's going to end up costing yet. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what he is able to command because of his age and how many innings he's thrown at his age. And that guy is Madison Bumgarner. Now, I know a lot of people are talking about Zach Wheeler, and I'm not saying that he wouldn't look good in a White Sox jersey as well. To me, because Wheeler's had a lot of injury issue in the past, there is a there is a considerable risk there. Obviously, you hope that you get a healthy version of him and that Don Cooper is able to mold him into the pitcher that people have always felt that he can be. But because of the injury and inconsistency, you don't know what you're getting exactly. When it comes to Bumgarner, the biggest issue is that even though he's 30 and it doesn't seem like he's old, you know, he's been pitching in the major league since he was 20, and there's a lot of mileage on that arm. Not only in regular seasons, but because the Giants have won three of the last 10 World Series, you know, you're talking about a guy that has been a heroic postseason performer, that's more innings on that arm. So, the only risk to me is what's left for Madison Bumgarner. The 2019 version of Madison Bumgarner was not the 2014 Madison Bumgarner, and if you go out and sign him, I think that a lot of fans are going to be hopeful that that guy is still there, and I don't know whether he is or isn't. That's for Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and the people in the front office to decide. But when I look at the White Sox and where they're going, Kevin, I feel like they need that veteran guy Mm -hmm. to come in and set the expectation, similar to the way that John Lester did with the Cubs, right? You get a veteran arm that can come in and teach these young guys how to perform in big-time games. Who better than Madison Bumgarner to do that, especially if you're able to get him on a contract that's not paralyzing, which I feel like probably is the case given the age and the innings on his arm. Yeah, I think Sox fans get excited about that trade or that, that signing, all depending on years and dollars attached to it. Because as you mentioned, I, I almost had, a, I had to do a double check here to baseball reference. I can't believe he's only 30. I would have guessed 31, 32, 33. So. Well, because of how many years he's right. been in baseball and how many years he's been pitching in big games. I mean, you think about the 2010 team, he was a 20-year-old at that time, and that's why you know he's thrown so many innings at a fairly young age. But you know that's that's the question. The question is, has he thrown so many pitches that he can no longer be that guy? If, if the White Sox determine he hasn't, that would be really intriguing to me. Sox games are better with a group. It's never too early to lock in your 2020 group package from a diamond suite to a pregame patio party. We've got the perfect space for your occasion. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. He's Jordan Burnfield. I'm Kevin Powell. This has been White Sox Weekly News is next.